So uh, we're going to get started. If people come in late, they'll miss the fun portion of the talk. And uh, so there's a fun portion, and then a uh, we're going to get real. Um, so uh, I'm Brian Zuniga. We're going to talk about preparing for the storms in, uh, in your life. And I, as I was thinking about the topic, um, I, like I initially was thinking more of something like how to walk through hard times. And I, like, as I thought about what helped me walk through hard times, I realized that the things that helped me walk through hard times are actually uh, not really what I did in the moment, but more of what I did in preparation for those hard times. Uh, so you're 18 to 22, most of us, right now is, is a season of life that you need to prepare for hard times because they will come. You have no choice but to go through hard times in your life. Some of you, man, I, I'm... I know in this room there's some of you that have gone through some extremely hard things. You've gone through death. You've gone through um, um, just some really hard things in your life. Um, probably why some of you are in this room is because you're trying to figure out how do I put these life experiences in, into what category do I put them in? How do I handle the, the things that I've gone through? Um, and so we're going to talk about maybe some things that help me in those seasons, but uh, the most the best things that I ever did was, was make preparations. The truth of it is I didn't realize I was making preparations. Um, men and women invested in me, and the investment they made and the, the discipleship that I had actually prepared me to walk through some of the hardest seasons in my life. And so we're going to talk about that. We get preparation, don't we? We had a, we had a packing list. You guys have packing lists for Hume, right? Did, who, who looked at the weather before they came up? And you were, I mean, you're like, oh, I get my North Face out, right? And you're really stoked about it because uh, most of you live in Southern California. Like, I know Chico, you guys are like, this is normal. But, uh, like, if you live in Southern California, you're like, man, I get to wear, like, my cold weather clothes. And you're really pumped about it. I was pumped because we're driving, like, wildernessy, And I, uh, I started backpacking, like, a few years ago. And if you, uh, if you backpack, there's some things that kind of go together, um, like I, there's like survivalist is kind of like a there's like a whole like realm of survivalist people who talk about how they can survive if like a nuclear blast happens and so they'll buy there's there's I'm on these forums like trying to figure out how to backpack better and then I'll see these like guys that are talking about like all these canisters of water that they store in their basement and like how do you store tanks of gas right um, and I'm I'm not that far. So, but I'm like, there's some cool things that they talk about how to prepare for like when, um, when, when really like when you like wreck in the wilderness and you need to like walk back 15 miles. And so in, in every, in my car that I drive, I always keep this bag because I'm a little crazy. Right. So, um, and this is just like my survival bag. So I can like, I can do some cool stuff. So I've got hammock, right. In case I need to chill. Right. So that's, all, that's important. <laughs> Um, but then there's like, this is a tarp, and so it's actually a poncho, and then like a little ground cover, and then it has like some paracord, which is just like long shoestrings that can hold you if you need to repel or something, uh, and then there's like some tent stakes, but titanium tent stakes, because I'm titanium, and so these tent stakes will like hold, like I could build a shelter out of this right here if I need to, so if, if I'm caught in like some downpour, because, you know, in Southern California, that happens all the time. But in case I'm caught in a downpour, I could build shelter. Um, if I need to survive, dude, don't laugh. Uh, if I need to survive in the wilderness, I do have food, like, for some, I, and I carry this with me, and it's like backpacking food. 
Here's the paracord I'm talking about, and it has a carabiner that's like weight-bearing. Actually, that one's not, but I have one in here that does. Uh, so if I need to paracord down, like, uh, rappel down something, I've never done it before, but I think I could because I've watched movies. Uh, there's, uh, like, I have an emergency blanket. This is also, like, so it could, uh, it's, like, intense. There's, like, a light one in here, too, so, like, the metallic one. Um, and then, so if I need to double up, I've got that. I've got gloves because gloves. And then um, I've got, like, a big fatty knife. Um, because I feel like I've watched Rainbow, and so he survived with that. And then, uh, if I need to purify water, I've got a few ways. One is the Live Straw, 20 bucks on Amazon, and I can drink out of any stream in the world. I don't know why I would want to, but... Um, and then if I need to, like, kill my own food, I've got, like, uh, I've always got this with me. Uh, my um, first band just broke, so I just bought another one. So this is a... Um, I can't even remember... Slingshot, yeah. So if I need to kill small game uh, and cook it like Shrek, uh, I could do that. I also have a first aid kit. So my first aid kit in there, I've got a lot of stuff. My wife is a pharmacist, and she said if she had two uh, medicines, she would take uh, ibuprofen and Benadryl with her everywhere. Because ibuprofen pain reliever and the Benadryl, like, it actually is like antihistamine. So it, like, if you're allergic to something or... If you just need, like, sleeping medicine, there you go. Um, in that, I've got, this is fire starter. So I have two ways to start a fire. One is with a fire steel, um, and that, like, just sparks stuff. And then one is just, like, with waterproof matches. Um, and then if, <laughs> if I'm in the wilderness so long that my knife gets dull, I have a little mini knife sharpener. So <laughs> I can last for weeks and weeks in my mind. Here's a little med kit. Uh, so if I'm just going to go, like, really on a light trip, I could just take this, and it has, like, some of the most important things, water purification tablets, Band-Aids, um, and some, like, athletic tape. All this stuff, I didn't just, like, put this all together one day and, like, go crazy. Um, this kind of gradually grew into the crazy pack that it is. And so, like, this, for instance, this is actually, a, like, a Pioneer faceplate um, holder, like, um, for, a, like, a car radio. And I just thought, that looks cool. I got that in, like, high school, right, when, when everybody had detachable faceplates. <laughs> like, we were all worried about security. Alarm systems were a big thing back then. But then they would just go off for days, and it was so annoying. Uh, so, I, but I got this in high school, and then a lot, a lot of the stuff I just added along the way. I got a poncho, like, two years ago. Um, this was, like, a year ago. And, like, I, I added gradually to this emergency preparedness kit. In your life... The things that are going to help you get through hard times aren't, you can't just over a weekend at Hume Break or something think, here's all the stuff that I need to prepare me for hard times. It's something that you need to develop um, through a life of really being discipled, growing in your relationship with God. So we're going to talk about how to prepare for the storms in your life. Just like I'm, you get preparedness, um, you brought long, <laughs> you brought uh, like bigger coats, you, you brought um, maybe even some of you are like, I don't know what to do. So you brought like your long underwear, right, to sleep at night or um, just puffy clothes in general. Um, so you prepared for this cold weather just like that. Um, we're going to talk about what it looks like to prepare um, for the, the storms of life that come. So as we think about this, would you just pray with me um, that we can um, think about what, what this means for us? God, we thank you for your word, that it guides us, that it leads us, that it protects us, um, that it... It, it, got, it gives us a, a course to follow. It gives us a, a map um, uh, 
to, to think through how we can live our lives in a way that uh, prepares us uh, for the storms that will come. Thank you for your spirit that lives in us. God, I pray that uh, as we talk through some of these things, Lord, that you would um, spark in us some areas that we need to shore up, that we need to, to build out in our life. Um, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've got uh, a few things that helped me. So here, here's the outline. Uh, before the storm, here's some things that you need to, to, to think through, to build up, and then during the storm. Um, as I went through uh, different storms in my life, here, here's some things that helped me walk through that. And then hopefully, I, I'm, I'm assuming, because we're scheduled to be here for another like 50 minutes or so, uh, man, uh, I, I'm assuming I'm going to have plenty of time for questions. So write down some questions in the margin. If there's some things that, that aren't clear, you don't understand, please um, write them down, circle them, and then we can all ask Neil. So, um, all right, so 2015, the reason I wanted to speak on this is because my wife and I were, uh, 2015, New Year's, uh, we were at New Year's uh, Eve. We did not go to party because we did not want to celebrate 2015. 2015, December 31st, we were in our house. We were asleep, actually, when uh, midnight hit because we were exhausted and we were tired. And we thought, we don't want to celebrate this. The only thing that we would celebrate is that the year is over. And we're done with 2015. 2015, and I know my life has really been easy when I look at a lot of people, even my sons and my own family. Like, my life has been really, really easy. But 2015 was the hardest year of my life. And it wasn't one big thing. That's what makes me so angry. It wasn't like, um, like something traumatic happened, like like close family member died or anything like that. But there were just all these little things that keep, kept building and building and building. It kept chipping away uh, at my emotional energy, my physical energy, my mental energy. In all those categories, there was something going on in my life that was just chipping away at uh, like just my desire to, to move forward one more day. And so um, in, in, uh, in the summer before, in 2014, we had been praying for boys, um, and really boys or girls. We, we said um, at least two kids um, from Ethiopia, and um, we told our adoption agency, we could, um, whatever you have, I mean, we'll, we'll take, we want to adopt kids. And um, so we, we actually had been praying for two years, two and a half years before that. And in June of 2014, we got a referral for two boys, and we were stoked. It was like one of the happiest days of my life. Like, uh, they called and said, would you want to adopt these boys? We'll send you all their information. We'll send you pictures. And then you have a week, up to a week, to decide if you, need to, if you want to adopt these boys. And I was like, who needs a week, right? We've been praying for this for years, and we finally get a referral to two specific boys. So um, the answer is yes. And they're like, well, let's send you this stuff anyway. You just have to sign some forms. But yes, okay? Like, I just, uh, like before you move on with anything, don't hand these to anybody. Like, yes. And so we, I went up to see my wife. She's actually working at the time. So I went up to her workplace. She signed the forms that day. We sent them in. And they said, man, that was fast. And we had already decided, like, we were going to do this. And it didn't really matter what they look like or um, their medical history or anything else. We were going to adopt these boys. And so in June 2014, we were stoked because they said six to eight months is the average time, and, and, and in six to eight months, you'll be able to go and bring your boys home, and we were, we kind of put it out on the, on the timeline, we were praying for Christmas, wouldn't that be awesome, Christmas, 
we get to bring our home, boys home for Christmas and uh, celebrate a Christmas together as a family for the first time. And we've been praying ever since my daughter could remember when we prayed with her, we were praying for a family in Ethiopia. And so we, we kind of circled Christmas and we were, we were praying to that time. And we believe, you know, because God moves when we pray. And so we would just begin to ask Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. And then December 25th comes along and there's no boys in our home. It's just me and my wife and my daughter. We love my daughter and I love my wife. But we also, we kept seeing updates of these boys every month. Every month we get an update, and they would get a little bit older, and we'd hear a little bit more about these boys, and, and we would think about the situation they were in and how they had no family and um, how they were just living day to day and surviving. And uh, so every month, it was disappointment every month when, when we heard, it's not this month. Every month, just more disappointment, not this month. And so Christmas rolls around, and it's just us. And, and there's really no, uh, there's no encouragement. There's no, hey, it should be a month or two. In fact, um, we actually had our agency. Our agency told us that we're meeting with the head of adoption in all of Ethiopia and we're going to talk about you and two other families specifically because they've kind of dragged their feet on these three families for absolutely no reason. There's zero reason. They've gone slow and they actually haven't progressed. They've progressed other people, but not your family. We don't know why. And so we're, when we meet with this person, we're going to use all our relational capital to talk about you and these two other families. And, and so every month was just disappointment for us. And so in 2000. 15 rolls around, it's just disappointment in January, February, and March, and April. All those months, we hear nothing. My wife and I, we were talking, and you know, uh, there's, a, there's a term for people, uh, for women who are going through depression after they deliver, called um, postpartum depression. Um, we, we were joking about it, but there's a lot of truth to it. We were going through prepartum depression before our kids came home. There was just, a, 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 like just depression over our family. Because all this time we'd been planning to do this, planning to bring these boys in our home. And all we got to do was see them grow, grow older one pitcher a month at a time. In February, my, my daughter walks into our kitchen. She looks at, at Matt Pittman, who's living with us at the time, and she looks at him and she said, the ground is sticky. And uh, he's like, what? And he noticed that when she would step on the ground we had laminate flooring when she stepped on it water would come up <laughs> through the laminate flooring uh, so in February we realized that our dishwasher had been leaking we didn't know how long it was a slow leak and it had been leaking and so I started pulling up the laminate flooring that was pretty much rot like destroyed uh, I started pulling it up and realized it had gone into pretty much all of uh, like our kitchen and back area and uh, dining room so we pulled that up and um, we started talking about well, what are we going to do next. That was actually the second time that it flooded in the, the past like five years. So we pulled it up and we just started praying about eh, what are we going to do and asking for advice. And we decided, hey, let's, um, let's do um, concrete flooring. That's kind of hip, right, like industrial. So like, um, like a coffee shop or something. So we, uh, we, we figured out how to do that. Like you grind it, you like smooth it out, and then you put some like chemicals on it, and then you like uh, finish it on the top. At the same time, with like, okay, our boys are coming in. We, if we're going to do anything, we might as well do it now. So we decided to take out the cabinets, 
um, take out the the um, dishwasher. Well, that was a problem because it right it was leaking. So let's just get that out of here. Uh, and then um, the oven. So we kind of replaced everything, but we didn't realize. We thought, hey, let's do this in a weekend or two. Um, from from February, um, we actually we did the flooring. We couldn't do anything else to do the flooring. We did the flooring, um, put the finish on it, and like I. I read a lot of things online, so I was pretty much expert at that stuff by that point. Um, and so I put this finish on it, and um, we waited a week for it to dry, and uh, or a weekend. And over the weekend, we thought it would dry, and, and we stepped on it, and it was like this gummy mess. So it was like you're walking on, um, I don't know, like jello or something, like a thin layer of jello. Uh, that's not how it's supposed to work. So uh, it's supposed to like be a hard surface. And so we, we figure, okay, we take that off. And then we actually do another set, like uh, finish it before we go to Hume last year. So we were like, okay, it'll be a week. I mean, that's plenty of time. So we set it down. We leave the house. Um, and then we come back after Hume, same story. Like, it just, it's gross. It's disgusting. I could actually rub my finger over the finish in the top, and it would just come off like an, like an eraser. So I read enough online to know that it wasn't supposed to work like that either. I'm an expert, you know. Finally, the third time it worked, but the third time is like four, three months into this whole thing. Um, then after that, we can get the uh, cabinets in because we want to do the flooring first, and then we can get everything else. So then um, by, the, uh, by May 28th, we'd actually been able to actually have a kitchen and cook our own food for the first time in um, four months. Now, man, I know you guys are college students and you got the calf, but for grown-ups, for adults, no, you're adults too, but for, for people who have a house who like depend on cooking, especially for like a four-year-old daughter, and that's hard to live out of your, like all of our refrigerator, microwave, everything else was in our living room, and so we, we had packed everything into one corner of the house. Man, that was just wearing, like, over and over again. Um, there were different, like, staff, like, that I worked with um, at CBU that I'd worked really close with that left unexpectedly. Um, I This is the first full year that I was an elder at my church, and that's just the added responsibility, um, helping the process of Walking through church discipline with people, man, that's hard, um, painful at times. Um, at the end of the year, like like a gift at the end, um, we thought, hey, let's, um, after we adopted our kids, which was awesome, like that was great, they come into our home, and it's awesome, it's great, but man, that transition's really hard and wearing. And so when people would ask us uh, from September, we, uh, we brought them home in July, when they would ask us the end, second half of 2015, when they would say, um, how's it going? I wouldn't know how to answer. Because I would want to say, it's just the worst time in my life, and I feel bad because I just got our kids, and we've been praying for them. But, and we actually, we do love them a lot, but they're making our, I mean, it's really hard. So I, what do you say? Like, how do you answer people? So I would just say, you know what I would say? How are you doing? What would you say? Yeah, yeah, fine. <laughs> it's a lie. But, um, like, that's, that's what I would say. Um, as we're walking through, like, how do you parent kids who've gone through trauma? How do you parent kids um, who don't know how to handle emotions? How, as we're feeling that, then we become parents who can't handle our emotions, right? Uh, so, like, there's this hard time. So we think uh, there's one thing where, like, their kids are in the back of the, the um, truck. We're driving a Tacoma, which is really nice. We're blessed by God. Um, and the back seat, we're fitting three kids in the back seat, one, two, three. 
And they just, like, they bicker all the time. Kids bicker all the time. If you guys don't know this about kids, they bicker like crazy. Like, it's like this constant, like, uh, like fight. I don't know, this epic battle between our three kids. I, I don't know if that changes, maybe. Um, so uh, they're sitting in, like, compacted in, in a truck, and we're like, okay, let's sell this and get something where we're going to spread out. So I do some research. We want something. We, we go camping, you, obviously, right? You see that. Um, we go camping, and like, we're like, let's get something that can handle off-road. We can take like three kids on, spread out. So we want three rows of seats. And there's a few vehicles that do really well off-road, three rows of seats. Of course, I'm an expert because I have the internet. And um, like we find a Monstera, Mitsubishi Montero. Apparently, those do great, especially the older ones. So 1995 Mitsubishi Montero. We bring it home. Actually, on the way home, I buy it, and I'm bringing it home. It actually dies before it gets to our house. Um, we get it towed into our shop, which we love. They're great. Um, they, they, we put a a substantial amount of money into this vehicle. We fix it. We actually take it camping once. It's awesome. Then I fix the starter, which was, there's an issue there. And so, of course, I have the internet. And so I fix the starter. Um, Then, for some reason, it just won't start anymore. I take it to the shop three times. Still won't start. Um, Finally, I take it to a different shop because the shop we're going to, they keep saying it's fixed and it's not. And it's been actually in the shop since February um, of this month. Uh, And it's still there to, to this day. So it's been there for six weeks. I just, we don't even think of it as ours at this point. It's like on loan to the shop. Um, man, all these things have just added up in our, in our life and um, to create one of the hardest times, hardest seasons of our life. And I feel bad because I'm like, I, I know there's people that have had worse times. As I was, I remember, um, I, as I was cl- like scraping the stuff off my floor the second time, uh, to fix it, man, my mind went to our boys that, that, that were in Ethiopia, and I thought, man, I, I, like, I was very angry, saying bad words in my head, not out loud, right, because as long as they're in your head, they're not sin, right, is that how, I don't know, um, so I was, <laughs> right, the heart isn't where, uh, but I was, like, scraping the stuff off the floor, and then I thought about my boys, and I thought, man, I have a roof over my head, and God has given us enough food to eat. God has given me a family, a loving family. And I was thinking about my boys who, and those are things that they didn't have to their name at that point. And uh, man, I just was crushed with this idea that, man, the situation that I'm in, I mean, there's, there, we could always find other people that had worse times. But then I also was, was touched with this thought that, no, this is real in my life. So I know we could always, we could play that game. Other people are having harder times. But I mean, the, the hard times in our life, those are real in our life. So how can we prepare for the hard times in our life? Long intro. Here's the, here's the three things that I've, I've got. Um, I don't know if it's three. I just said three because usually I do three. Uh, so number one, uh, first is develop a biblical view of suffering. You've got to develop a biblical view of suffering. In our mindset, in our American culture, we think uh, suffering uh, equals something's gone wrong. We've done something wrong. Somebody else has done something wrong. Um, the idea of, of suffering, we, to, to fathom that God can actually be using suffering in our life for a purpose, for a greater purpose, that we don't think about that a lot. Um, so as I think about suffering, um, here's some truth. And if, if you need to, 
un- unpack this later with me. I- I'm- so here's the truth. God is sovereign. He's all-powerful. And the reality is he can stop any suffering. God is all-powerful. and He can stop any suffering. But we also know God is good. And what I would say is for the benefit of our ultimate good does not always stop our temporary suffering. For the benefit of our ultimate good, he does not always stop our temporary suffering. So as I think about suffering, first, I think we underestimate how bad things are. Um, Any suffering we go through pales in comparison to the eternity of suffering that we all deserve in hell. It pales in comparison to that. Um, So I think we understand how bad things really are. Uh, Pain is temporary. I've seen people with tattoos. Pain is temporary, right? (laughs) Like you go to the gym. Pain is temporary. Gain is forever, right? Um, Pain is temporary. Uh, Heaven is forever. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.17. It says this light momentary affliction. It's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. Uh, Paul calls this light, this light affliction that's happening in our lives right now. Um, God's people will not suffer forever. God's people will not suffer forever. In eternity, the wounded and sick will find healing. In eternity, the broken will find restoration. In eternity, the depressed will find happiness. This momentary affliction cannot be compared to the eternal weight of glory that God promises. So I think we underestimate bad. And I think we overestimate how good we really are. We overestimate how good we really are. Um, my, my loving, tender wife, if you've seen her, she's one of the most loving, patient people in the world. Uh, just watch her with her three kids for like five minutes. Uh, she is loving and patient. Um, but uh, her and her sister were talking about, um, there is actually their stepmom, Sharon, had just, she's a nurse, her dad's a, a doctor, and so they were talking about this uh, Suburban that she just bought, and uh, they were talking about the Suburban, and uh, Melissa was, it was like tricked out, it was nice, like sunroof, and then like DVD, and all that stuff, like it was brand new, and uh, Melissa was talking to Jennifer, and she, Melissa said, my wife Jennifer, Melissa said, uh, her sister said, it's so great, Sharon really deserved that. And uh, then Jennifer, the loving wife that she is to me, I she, just hear this in her voice. If you know her, you can hear a sweet little voice say this. She, all that Sharon deserves is hell. <laughs> that's what we all deserve. That's her point. And that's the, the person that discipled her, the lady that discipled her would say things like that. And the reality is, is we all deserve hell. So when we have a mentality that we are entitled to good things, we are entitled to a, a, a sweet, perfect life, the reality is, and we deserve hell. And everything we get is God's grace in our life. The good seasons are God's grace. Um, a couple other things about God. Um, when we think of suffering, God doesn't promise this perfect life. In Matthew 28, beautiful promise. God says, go make disciples of all the nations. But if you know the nations, you know the turmoil that exists. You know the suffering that exists globally. 
it, when he says, go make disciples of all the nations, this is not an easy thing that he commands, right? Um, he, he makes this beautiful promise, though, within that. He says, and lo, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So one thing I see there is God does not promise. He never promises protection, but he does promise his presence. He doesn't promise protection, but he does promise his presence. The other thing in that is God is not safe, but God loves you. God is not safe, but he loves you. One of my favorite stories, C.S. Lewis writes, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. I share this all the time. Um, he writes about um, Aslan and the Chronicles of Narnia. Who's read the Chronicles of Narnia? Okay, or seen, there's like a movie. It's all right. It's a good movie. Um, he, he, this movie, it portrays Jesus as this figure, Aslan, this lion, okay? And so there's four little kids, and they hear about this lion-type figure that's, that's the Messiah figure, G, the Jesus figure. And so um, they, they hear about this, this figure, Aslan, and, and when the kids hear about it, um, the, the, it's Mr. and Mrs. Beaver who are explaining this person to them. And so they hear about this lion that does all these crazy things. Um, and so Lucy, the little one, she says, oh, is he a man? And uh, Mr. Beaver says, no, certainly not. I can tell you he's the king of the woods, the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Do you know who the king of the beast is? It's Aslan. He's a lion, the lion, the great lion. And then Susan says, ooh. It's like, ooh, O-O-H. I don't know how to read that, but oh, ooh. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And Mrs. Beaver says this, that you will, dearie, no mistake. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. And then Lucy says, then is, isn't he safe? Isn't he safe, this, this Jesus-type figure? And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And God is good. God is good, but he's not very safe. You look at the people that followed Jesus, it didn't turn out very well for them on this earth, did it? Peter, tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down. John was beheaded. Stephen was stoned. Not a very safe place to be. Like when people say the center of the God's will is the safest place to be. Man, it's safe for your soul, yes. And I think that's what a lot of people are trying to say in that. But, but man, temporary, physically, man, it's not a safe place to be. But, but it's a good place to be. And so when we think about suffering and pain, knowing, knowing that there's this greater purpose, knowing that there's this, this God that promises that, that this momentary light affliction can't compare, can't compare to the eternal weight of glory, knowing that doesn't mean that we shouldn't grieve. Knowing that doesn't mean, in fact, God loves us so much. And in John eleven thirty five, we get this picture of Christ's love. And he hears that his friend Lazarus has, has just died. One of the shortest verses in the Bible, we all know it. In John eleven thirty five, here's Jesus' response to this. Even Jesus, this is Jesus, who has the power to heal and bring people back to the, from the dead. But he sees his friend dies, and it says Jesus wept. Jesus wept. So God cares about us. God loves us. So what we see in suffering is that God loves us. There's this purpose to it that we might not ever see. Um, 
I, I don't know why, but God uh, led me to the book of Job in 2014. Well, I do know why. It's to prepare me for 2015, so that makes sense. Um, but I, I, I spent a lot of time in it. And so here's some observations I made from Job. If you know the story, here's the story. Let me, I'll tell it really quick. So Satan goes to God, and I don't know what that looks like. like I, I mean, just hanging out, and Satan's like, what's up, God? And so God, uh, he, he starts this conversation with Satan, and Satan, God says, have you, have you seen my servant Job? Like, he, this, this guy, like, he worships me, and Satan's like, man, the only reason he worships you is because you give him good stuff. Like, you've really blessed him. And so God's like, well, do what you want with him. Um, and, and see, he'll still worship me. And so Satan's like, kind of takes the challenge, and he and he uh, he harms Job. He harms his family. Um, his, his family's sitting in a in a barn or something, and like the four walls like break on it, um, and the wind takes it and knocks it down, and all his family dies. Like his cattle dies. Like everything's taken away from him. Uh, and it says the first thing that Job did. It says, and Job fell to the ground and worshipped. We see the rest of the story. Job's friends come and try to tell them, um, here's why, why this has happened. And his friends, and this is one of the things we're going to talk about later, is listening to good friends, not unwise friends. But his friends come up and um, one says, you did, this to bring, you did something to bring this on yourself. And, and don't we think about that when we think about suffering? It must have been something I did. God is angry at me, Right? So one friend says, God is angry at you. There's something you did. Um, one friend says, you should ask for forgiveness from God or somebody you, you wronged. And one friend just said, it should be worse. So you should count. <laughs> you're lucky. You're still alive, buddy. You know, uh, it could be worse. And then um, Elihu, he's this kid and he's angry at the friends because they're not, they're not giving Job any comfort. And he says, God is, God, Job, he, he's righteous. Um, and God is great. And, and then Job, you're not without fault. The righteous don't always prosper. And so there's these friends that are throwing mixed signals at Job and not really helping him too much. And so Job doesn't really know why this stuff is happening. It says that he regrets being born at one point. Um, and here's the end of the story. God enters the scene. And here's God's response to Job. Job wants to know why. And when we talk about suffering, we want to know why this is happening. Here's God's response. He says, first, he says, dress, dress for action like a man. I will question you and make it, and you make it known to me. So first, he just calls his manhood out. Like, I mean, no, yikes. Uh, but then he says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Basically, man, uh, when I created the world, let's see, huh? It was me and, um, I don't know, where were you, Job? <laughs> were you, oh, yeah, you weren't there, were you? Um, <laughs> Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. I mean, God is calling him out. He's talking some major trash, which is kind of cool, but then kind of like, whoa. Uh, where's the way to the dwelling of the light? And where's the place of darkness? That you take it to its territory, that you discern the path to its home. You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. He's He's just super sarcastic. Um, shall, a, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. So God basically just says, are you God, Job? That's his answer. And the reality is, when we look at the, the story of Job, this is what 
hit me in 2014 that prepared me for 2015. Everything that happened to Job, God could have said, here's what he could have done. He, said, he could have said, Job, hey, here's what happened. Um, it was me and the angels. We were chilling and Satan said, hey, Job isn't going to worship me if like all this bad stuff happens. So I'm like, hey, try it. And then you won. Like, good job, Job. Like he could have explained the whole backstory, but he doesn't. All he says is, Job, I'm God. Here's Job's response. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And Job says, okay. The truth is, we don't always know why we suffer. There's a plan and there's a purpose in it. And no suffering will be wasted in God's economy. No suffering will be wasted in God's economy. We don't always know. God doesn't always tell us the backstory, which is hard for me. But we know that God is doing this in our lives on purpose. And no suffering will be wasted. So. So. Understand a biblical view of suffering. And then build your life on Christ in the word. Build your life on Christ in the word. Jesus, he tells us that hard times are going to come. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations in the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rains came down, the stream rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Build your life, your foundation of your life in the word. Um, when I, um, and there's so many verses that came into my heart um, during some of the hardest times of 2015. Um, Lamentations 3, 23 through 24, because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Um, Psalm 46, God, the Lord is our refuge and strength. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should shake, shake, and though the mountains should slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. In Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. And then, uh, I mean, this is a silly, but it's the word of God that he used in my heart. And so I have all these car troubles and I tried to fix it at first because I had the Internet and I think I should be able to fix it. So I'm doing this like all my like half my Christmas break. The last week of it is me outside working on this stupid, stupid car. And um, I'm doing things I shouldn't. I'm replacing steering wheels and I'm replacing starters and I'm like. I learned what an ECU is. I don't even know what it stands for. I just know it, where it is in my car. I, and I'm thinking, how, like, I'm just stressed out over this. And God says, Psalm 27, some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And who cares how I get around? Some people really value cars and chariots and horses. I mean, Brian, are you going to trust in the name of the Lord your God? Simple things like that. If you build your life on God's word, Christ commands God's word, and he can use that when, when hard times come. So build your life on Christ and the word of God. 
build a support network before the storm. When we talk about finding people to invest in you and mentor you and disciple you, man, one of the bonus features of that, bonus feature, uh, is that God will use those people in the good times to build you up, and God will use those people in the hard times to walk with you. And so there's guys, Jeff, Dave, John, Rick, Chris, guys, brothers in my life who have helped me walk through this hard time. Um, let me caution you. Proverbs 13.40, it says, Whoever walks with the wise will, will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. <laughs> so there will be a lot of people who want to give you bad advice, fools in your life. Listen to wise people. Look for wise people to invest in you. So then you walk through hard times, um, you'll have those people who can, who can point to God's goodness in this. During the storm. So here's some things I thought of during the storm. So was that three things? That was three things. I was right. Uh, so during the storm, I don't know how many there are in this. Um, so during the storm, here's what, here's what helped me in 2015. So first, keep eating. When you're sick... I hear this is a thing, right? Like, people are like, oh, when you're sick, you should keep eating. Um, like, and when people are going through some really hard sicknesses, they're like, well, the good thing is they ate, right? How they're eating. I don't understand that because that's never bothered me. Like, I eat no matter what. And so I'm just using an excuse. If I feel sick, I'm like, well, I need to eat more, right? Because <laughs> so, I could be, right? Uh, but maybe someday I'll understand that. I'll get that. Um, we want to feed ourselves in hard times. That, that, that's what we need to do. That's not, sometimes we don't want to, but feed yourself. So spiritually speaking, stay in the word. Make intentional steps forward in the word. The reality is, guys, there might be times that are, that are so hard, and for some of us, we might hit this depression or anxiety that's, that's, so, that's so disabling in our life that it's all we can do to read like one verse a day. And the reality, I just want you to move forward. I don't care what that looks like. Move forward. Maybe you're not reading your five chapters of your daily Bible reading calendar and having like a journaling time of 45 minutes, you know. Um, maybe it's just one chapter out of Psalms. But keep moving forward. Keep feeding yourself from God's word. Um, it's one of the most important things you can do when you're on the trail, right? With my survivalist friends, they they worry about they worry about shelter, and then food and water. That's what they're worrying about. So some of the most important things you can do is make sure that you keep getting fed from the Word. Stay plugged into your church, your campus ministry. Stay plugged into people that will help you value the Word of God in your life. Keep getting fed from the Word. Um, when hard times come, Paul, he says in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, don't be anxious about anything, but in anything, everything through prayer and supplica supplication, present your request to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So pray. That's the next thing. Pray. In hard times, in my, this is why it's good to, to create some kind of strategy or pattern or like prayer list. Because I know for me, when hard times come, I'm not just like super like disciplined and super strategic. And so if I have something there, 
Like if I know, if I wake up tomorrow, here's the chapter of the Bible I'm going to read and here's the things that I'm going to pray for. If I've built that beforehand, that at least gives me something um, to, to latch on to because I'm not going to be um, super inspired in some of these points. So that's why it's good to build some kind of structure, some kind of pattern in your life. Here's what I'm praying for. So pray. And then uh, pray throughout the day, uh, the, the anxieties you have in your life. I've heard people say this, if you know how to worry, right, you know how to pray. Um, so turn your worries into prayer. Um, God sincerely cares for you. And he, pray. Get, you're praying to a God who created the world, but didn't say disengaged from you. He actually stepped into this world, lived a perfect life, and died for you, has has actually come after you to to form a personal relationship with you. You're dealing with a God who listens and responds to your prayers. And so pray if there's things in your life that that are hard to deal with. Anxiousness. Um, 1 Peter 5, 7, it's one of the first verses my mom made me memorize. It says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God cares for you. So pray. Um, Three is three. I'm going to just say numbers. Um, ask for help. Let people help you. Um, don't try to be the hero. <laughs> Let people help you. Galatians 6, 9 and 10 um, says, Let us not become weary in doing good. For the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. So therefore, as we have opportunity, do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the household of faith. Let the people in your household of faith, let the people in your church serve you. Let the church be the church in your life. They can't help you, by the way, if they don't know what you're going through. So you have to let people know needs in your life. Um, so I, like I started serving as an elder uh, about a year and a half ago at my church. And we gather consistently and we pray for the members of our church. But we don't pray for people that we don't know have needs. If people say this is something we're going through, man, we will pray for them. Um, we'll even send out emails to the rest of the church to let everyone know this, these are the things to pray for. So if there's some things in your life that you need help with, let your church be your church. Ask for help. Next thing, continue to help others. Continue to help others. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That, that verse doesn't, doesn't get put on the shelf when you go through depression. That, that verse doesn't get put on the shelf when you have anxiety, when there's hard times in your life. It, it doesn't say, don't be, uh, look to others' interests and not just your own, unless it's really hard for you, you know. And in fact, it talks about Christ. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And it talks about the suffering that he went through. Being a very nature of God, did not consider equality with God to be something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So we see this picture of Christ who served and gave himself sacrificially for us. So when those hard times come, hard times come, keep serving, keep extending yourself for others. Um, today, you know what today is? My, my daughter knows. St. Patrick's Day. If you see my daughter, you can look. She has a necklace that she made, just especially for today. She, she actually looked ahead. She prepares, too. It says St. Patrick's Day, and it has a bunch of green bling on it. She was ready for today. She has a little calendar. It has all the like, holidays on it. She checks it off. She loves holidays. So um, 
like President's Day and stuff. Uh, so she was stoked about St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick, um, he was, if you know his story, he was kidnapped as a boy. He was kidnapped. As, he actually wasn't from Ireland. He was from England. He was kidnapped as a boy, dragged into slavery into Ireland. So go Ireland. All right. Um, dragged into slavery. He escaped, had this vision um, he was a believer in England. He was, he was a follower of Jesus. And so he, he was there as a believer. He had this vision from God. And it said, uh, your boat is ready. Get up, your boat is ready. And so he takes that to mean, I need to escape. So he escapes, walks to the shore. And guess what is on the shore? Yeah, that was foreshadowing. A boat. Yeah. So uh, he gets on the boat, goes back to England goes back to England, is chilling in England, living life, and then he has this vision, and it says, young boy, walk among us again. And he gets burdened for the people of Ireland who have no relationship with God. And so Patrick says, you sure? (laughs) These people enslaved me? Are you sure? Young boy, come walk among us again. And so he finds his way back to Ireland to share the gospel with the people that enslaved him. The barbaric Irish people. Anybody from Ireland? Anybody Irish here? The barbarians from Ireland. And he took the gospel to Ireland. And that's Patrick. Out of suffering, he walks back into suffering for the sake of the gospel. He continues to help others. Um, so continue to help others. And then the last thing, no, two, several more. Okay, know there's a purpose. Know there's a purpose. There's a purpose in pain. Sometimes we don't always know it. Uh, we've had the, the honor of sending out several people overseas from our church in the last five years. Um, one, of, one of them, um, uh, her name's Heidi. She's awesome. Uh, she serves with a team in Central Asia. Uh, she's actually from a missionary family, and um, her dad had this horrible experience, and her, her whole family had this horrible experience where her dad was murdered by one of the, uh, the people that they were working with in this tribal area in Papua New Guinea. As he was trying to translate the Bible into their language, this language helper murdered her dad. And so her mom talks about uh, just how she's dealt with this suffering and all this, this that came along with that. And she describes, she describes your life uh, as a beautiful masterpiece that God's putting together. And she says, don't focus on the dark pieces. They're dark, dark pieces. And if that's all you focus on, you'll think this is a horrible, horrible puzzle, ugly looking puzzle. But as you put those dark pieces in and, and they're, they're put together with all the, the brightness and the beautiful masterpiece that God's putting together, you step back and you realize that this is the mosaic. This is the picture that God is creating. And there's some dark times. But when you see what God's doing, it's beautiful. Know that there's a purpose in this. Hebrews 12, 11, um, let us not become weary in doing good for the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Or no, no, discipline is, uh, no discipline is pleasant at the time, but painful. So there's a, there's a purpose in this. What we consider bad things, which aren't that bad compared to eternity, happen to good people who aren't that good compared to God, to produce righteousness in their lives and glory to God. God is working all these things that, together. And we know Romans 8, 28, and all things God works together for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. 
Look forward. Look forward. There's two more. Look forward. And there's a second Corinthians four. We, we talked about it before. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, right? The things that are in front of us. Sometimes when we're going through hard times, that's all we can think about. That's what we fixate on. We, we see right in front of us. But it challenges us to, to look to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. They're eternal things. God is creating this beautiful picture in eternity. Um, there's this fallacy called the golden age fallacy. So um, I, do, I do like four things on Facebook. I... Uh, we, we post life updates for friends and family. Most of our family lives in, like, Oklahoma, and we live in California, so we want to update them on how our, our family's doing. So we post a lot of stuff about our kids. Um, so I do that. I connect with ministry targets. So I'm retweeting, like, CBU Wrestling. That's, like, one of the, the people I try to um, reach out to, and um, I connect with them a lot. Um, I try to say funny things on Facebook. I think most people try to do that. And then I troll Donald Trump with Facebook. So those are the... Those are three and four things I do with Facebook. And a few, few weeks ago, I, I kind of put this rant, I guess, I don't know how, know how to say it, but against his slogan, Make America Great Again. And that word again, man, what's he trying to get back to? I, I don't understand. Like, has there been a time in America that, that we need to like, go back to? Like, at any point, has, has America been great for everyone in the world? Um, and then, because you think about, okay, do we want to go back to the 1700s where we were cool with slavery? Or maybe the early 1800s where we were cool with slavery and, and we, we actually define, okay, these people are worth like, what was it, two-thirds or five-eighths of a person or something like that. Is that, is that what we're trying to get back to? Uh, Three-fifths is what it was. Um, uh, or, what, or what period of time, is, was it the 50s? Was it... Um, when cultural Christianity really displaced like genuine faith, is that what we're trying to get back to? Is that the greatness of America we're trying to get back to? And so some people didn't like that, and they didn't, whatever. But what I was trying to point out was the golden age fallacy. And it's this fallacy that there's some period in your life that was perfect. And you kind of ignore all the bad times in, in your life. So you're like, man, wouldn't it be great to be like a baby, right? You know, people just feed you and you don't have to do anything. Well, you joke about it, right? You're living the life. People just feed you. But you're a baby. I mean, you really want to be a baby the rest of your life? Like, I mean, you can't do anything, right? You're just like this, like a little T-Rex, right? That can't walk. So um, you're like this baby that you, you have no cognizant thought. Like you can't interact with people. There's no, there's no communication. Like there's all these things that are just kind of stopped. And like we forget all about the things that we don't like. You, you have parents that like tell you what to do, right? Like you got the man, right, that lives with you. <laughs> so um, like there's these things that kind of stop. So... So there's no point in your life that's perfect, but there's a point in, in, in the future where everything will be made right. It's the golden age fallacy, and we get this idea that, man, this stuff will, we got to get back to this point in our life. But the, the reality is, man, there's no perfect time in the past. I mean, God is making all things right. Man, if, is there suffering in your life? Is there pain in your life? God will make that right. So the last thing is just to persevere in that. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Finally, brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
So keep moving forward. When I think about the things that I just told you to do, <laughs> I realize, as I kind of brainstorm through this, I realize this is just the wheel. If you've seen the navigator wheel, how I got through hard times in my life is I, I found in my life in the word. And, and men helped me learn how to do that before I got into these hard times. So I, I built some strategies in my life to get in the word. I, I found in my life in prayer. I found in my life in reaching out to others, sharing my, sharing my faith. I'm serving others, and then I, I built my life in, in a fellowship with other believers. So I realized nothing in my spiritual walk changed. I just learned to do my spiritual walk with a limp. Nothing changed. I just learned to walk with a limp. So, man, that's, that's my encouragement, my challenge to you is to build your life in those areas and then learn, man, when hard times come, when, when you take some shrapnel, you may get to walk with a limp. I think that's promise for all of us. We have a few minutes for questions. Yeah, so there's, pat- there's other patterns we could talk about. Journaling is a good pattern. Um, so, like, you can journal, like, what, what are some things that are happening? Uh, having those in- in mentors in your life, those disciples in your life, they can help you kind of verbalize, hey, what are, what are you learning in this moment? They'll ask you those questions if you have good <laughs> disciples. Um, they'll point you to that, um, but that's a good point. We, we don't want to live in, um, in fantasy, or we don't want to live in this like false sense of, hey, I just want to get through this, um, but we actually, I think that's why we want to continue to reach out in the moment. We want to continue to pray in the moment, too, um, that when we are, there's a real, this is, this is your life, so, and the truth is, I'm not saying you'll get past this in this life. Maybe it's there's, there's probably things in all of our lives that we, we get to carry the rest of our lives. Um, if it's physical or mental or emotional, there's different things that we just get to carry the rest of our life. Um, but learning to do that, um, knowing that, that all these things will be made right, that God will pull all this together. Yeah, so read Job. Um, read Habakkuk. I had no idea Habakkuk is about suffering, and God answers Habakkuk. Habakkuk has two complaints, and God responds, really similar to Job. So if you want a summary of Job in three chapters, it's Habakkuk. Um, there you go. Uh, so, but as you look at the Bible, look at the Bible, understand it. When, read Jesus. He talks about suffering throughout it. Read Paul. He talks about suffering throughout it. Um, so have a biblical view of suffering, not that it's this thing to shun, but this thing to to really see God's goodness in the middle of it. And as you build your support network, you want to surround yourself with people who are focused on following Jesus and then invite people to do the same. I, I mean, it's just the stuff Mike talked about, stuff that Dudley's talking about, but find people to invest in you, um, wise men and women invest in you, um, and support yourself with people. Um, invest in your church. Uh, find a church that you can dig deep into, invest in, go to small group, connect in small groups in that setting. That's your support network. I think that's why you have to serve. Um, you, you have to look for ways to continue to serve in your church. Look for ways to continue to reach out to the lost, to disciple others. If, you, if you're not doing that, right, if you're not serving outward, if you're not reaching the lot, if you're not moving outward, then everything becomes focused on you and it gets really self-centered. Um, people are investing in you, look for ways to honor and serve them. Um, maybe it's just 
can I help you clean? Can I, you know, whatever you would normally do for that person, continue to do that. Um, if you're not doing that for people who are investing in you, thinking ways to serve them, maybe that's a good place to start right now. I don't know. I didn't. So <laughs> I had a really bad attitude. Um, I think God would rebuke me on it as I was getting back into the Word and I, as I would pray. Um, so probably med- if I would have meditated on more Scripture beforehand, that probably would have helped me later. Um, but, man, I, I don't know. I, I didn't. <laughs> so ask somebody who did in hard times. Yeah. Yeah, so the question is how do you, in times that you feel like God's silent, how do you, yeah, when you're not feeling yeah, that was most of 2015 for me. Um, I kind of operated in the patterns of life that I'd built before that time. So if I was getting in the Word consistently, I would still do that. If I was trying to review Scripture consistently, I would still do that. If I was praying, I would still do that. And sometimes it would feel hollow and, and more empty. But I would do that in faith, knowing that, mentally knowing that this was good for me. And I've, I've seen people who are going through really hard times. They have no appetite, but they know that food is good for them. And so for the sake of their family, they're going through the sickness and this illness. And for the sake of their family, they're, they're trying to fight for life because they know that this is hard on their family. They know that if they can get stronger, maybe God will heal them. And so they don't, they don't have an appetite. They don't want to eat. And if it were up to them, they would just let themselves die. But they, they have people that they love and they're fighting for. And maybe it's their time and God <laughs> releases them. But for the season they're in, they're going to fight and they're going to eat and they're going to swallow food even though they don't really want to. And I, that's, that was 2015 for me. There were times that I didn't want to read and I felt like God wasn't listening. But I would pray because the habits, the, the muscle memory that I had was these are things that I do. Well, let me pray for you guys. Lord, I don't know where these people are at, but um, I'm sure that there's some in this room that um, are going through some hard times. There's some that are on the other side of it, and there's some that are about to, to go into it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would build us in your word so that we can say that the fig tree should not blossom there be no fruit on the vines the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food the 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 flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls we will exalt we rejoice in the god of our salvation lord we would look to you and worship you lord i pray that we would build patterns in our life some muscle memory in our life that when these hard times come we just continue to walk with you and Lord, on the other side of that, Lord, I pray that as we walk with a limp, we can invite others with limps to follow us as we follow you. So Lord, we pray that um, for your sake, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.